0: Welcome to Speaking On Demand, a podcast that breaks down the keynote speaking marketplace with speaker interviews, industry trends, and agent insights. I'm your host, Aaron Rayburg, speaker agent for Capital City Speakers Bureau. Welcome to another episode of Speaking On Demand. This is Aaron Rayburg from Capital City Speakers Bureau. This is our first episode that we'll be recording on both Spotify, the podcast that we've been doing since about August and also brought to you today on YouTube. So excited to kind of play around with the video format as well. Today, I am joined by a futurist, strategist, innovation expert, Jack Shaw. Jack has been rated a top 25 speaker by speaking.com as well as a top five futurist authority. Today, Jack and I will have a conversation and we're gonna get into several things. We'll definitely touch on the pandemic and what that's done to the trajectory of several technologies going forward. We'll talk a little bit about cryptocurrency and get you an update there. And we'll talk about one of Jack's most requested topics right now, which is all to do with strategic planning. He's got some slides and some graphics to share with us that I think will be helpful. And one of the parts of this job that I love so much is the fact that we get to talk with these experts on a day-to-day basis. I'm happy to share a little bit of Jack's expertise with you today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Speaking On Demand, Jack Shaw is up next. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Speaking On Demand. This episode is gonna be streamed on Spotify as usual. Um, and also today on YouTube. Today, I am super excited to be joined by futurist, Jack Shaw. Jack, how is everything going down in Atlanta?
1: Uh, It's going great, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Aaron, it's good to see you again.
0: You know, when I did the video lead into this episode, I was telling the audience, one of the things that I love about this job the most as a speaker agent uh, is just getting access to bright minds like yourself. So I'm interested to pick your brain a little bit today. Why don't we start off and talk about the obvious elephant in the room and that's the pandemic. So with you being a futurist and and being up to speed on all of these different technologies, how would you say the pandemic has sort of accelerated or possibly slowed down certain technologies?
1: Well, you know, it's it's very interesting. The obvious thing that everyone is aware of is remote video communications. I mean, it's been around for years. I remember demonstrating Webex 20 years ago over a, a relatively slow internet connection, but still fast enough that it could work and people were amazed. Wow, you mean you can use the internet to see people from a great distance? Now, of course, we're all used to doing it. The capabilities, the capacities are so much better. We get large groups. You know, just yesterday I was meeting with a group of my fellow Yale alums uh, getting together once a month to for a virtual luncheon and just chatting about things. And uh, so that That's the obvious piece of it, but there's a lot else going on. One of the very exciting things, for example, artificial intelligence is being applied so well. There is no way the vaccines that have been developed and the additional ones that are under development could possibly have been developed as quickly as they were without incredibly sophisticated use of AI technologies uh, by the research labs, the pharmaceutical companies and so forth. Uh, other technologies are beginning to be accelerated, at least for certain applications. Uh, blockchain, for example, to verify the validity of supply chain information, uh, and that's critical to the pandemic. Uh, you know, when you've got to store the Pfizer vaccine at 94 degrees below zero, you need to know that it stayed at 94 degrees below zero the entire time, and that nobody fudged the records to make it look good. And uh, So uh, there are a host of technologies. I I really don't think there's much of anything that I would say was delayed. Now, certainly a lot of companies have put complex long-term implementations of new technologies on the back burner for a while. But I think the interesting thing is the technologies themselves continue to evolve even at an accelerating rate. And that's something as we'll get to later in our conversation Uh, that's very important for businesses and organizations to keep in mind as they plan for the future.
0: It's funny that you mentioned the WebEx thing 20 years ago. And I would say it's been about four years or four and a half years since I was introduced to a product called Zoom and did a Zoom meeting with uh, a couple of speakers, clients and that sort of thing. And it was so clunky. And now we're kind of getting a little bit more used to the technology. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, that Mel Brooks movie, Spaceballs, where they had like a video screen and president was talking back and forth. And I thought to myself, 20 years ago, there's just no way that's ever going to happen. And, uh, you know, good old Mel Brooks ended up predicting the future, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. Well, science fiction, but uh, even uh, comedic science fiction uh, uh, can be very good at doing that. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so there's been all of this technology going on in the background. So I guess for general business audiences, which I think makes up a lot of this audience, meeting planners and just people that are interested in furthering their, their business acumen, um, what, are, what are some other ways outside of healthcare that AI is, is working out there? Um, we, we, hear, we hear a lot that there are some limitations and we're never gonna get past a certain point with AI, but are, are there any other fields aside from healthcare that, um, that's gonna change life pretty drastically in the near future?
1: Yes. All of them.
0: <laughs> um, Softball. <laughs>
1: AI, AI is going to change every aspect of our lives, professionally and personally, probably more than anything, certainly since the internet itself, and, and in many respects, even more so than the impacts we've seen over the last quarter century uh, of the internet. People have a tendency though, to think of AI as a single monolithic thing. And and very often they think of, you know, the Terminator and robots going crazy and slaughtering people all over the place and so forth. And it's just not gonna work like that. AI is a whole suite of various different technologies and various different types of AI technologies will come to bear in different industries, in different applications, will be integrated together in various different ways, will appear faster or slower over time. Uh, So it's really, really this huge suite, this huge continuum of emerging technologies that uh, have automated intelligence of various different
0: types. So, you know, with, uh, with with a lot of companies trying to ramp up and accelerate their productivity, AI is definitely something that I see, at least from the meeting planners and the speakers requested. Um, it's a very big focus area and there's a lot of dollars being pumped into that area. Um, yeah, it's just, it's it's so fascinating that uh, it goes from five years ago, just talking about it. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's it's happening before our very eyes. Do you think that there's any, opportunity for additional job creation, or would you see it more as AI replacing jobs going forward or maybe a little bo- of both? Uh,
1: a little of both, yes. Uh, and, and it's like all technologies that have been emerging certainly since the emergence of the industrial revolution over 200 years ago, and probably prior to that, uh, is that new jobs are created as old jobs are automated out of existence and are no longer needed. And uh, certainly AI is going to do that in an accelerated way. Um, and, you know, one of the questions that I have frequently asked to me uh, by executives and first line people is, are we going to lose our jobs to AI? Yeah, exactly.
0: Is, I guess that was, yeah, that's what right. I was curious, because that's kind of like the fear a lot of people have.
1: Understandably so. And in my opinion, it's not that. AI is going to replace people. People who don't know how to use AI as a tool are going to lose their jobs to people who know how to use AI as a tool. And that doesn't mean you have to be a sophisticated developer of artificial intelligence technology to survive in the future. Right now, almost anybody in any job is perfectly comfortable using their phone and probably a computer to assist them in doing their jobs. But I can remember 20 or 30 years ago when the majority of people would say, well, I just could never learn how to use a computer. I mean, that's, that's for just computer geeks, computer scientists, you know, I, I'm just gonna do my job without ever using a computer. <laughs> Everybody uses their computer in their jobs. And in the near future, everyone will be using AI and AI enabled tools of various different kinds. So the people who understand how to use these tools will prevail. So the challenge is well, there's nothing I can do about it, I might as well just retire right now at the age of 23 or something because I'm not an AI scientist, no. The answer is at whatever age you are, whether you're 23 or 83, understand what these emerging new AI enabled tools are, and you'll be able to survive and take part and compete in the business and professional marketplaces of the future.
0: It reminds me of that commercial that's on TV right now. It's like an insurance commercial. I don't know if it's Geico, but it's the one where um, growing up to be like your parents and the instructor (laughs) says, the instructor says, okay, now we're going to open a PDF. And everybody's like, who wants to go first? And Everyone backs off. So that kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. reminds me of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a scary thing for a lot of people 10 or 15 years ago. Now, yeah.
0: Well, it's good, it. to put, it's good to put that into perspective. One of the other areas I wanted to ask you about is um, around cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin, whatever have you, and I think for general audiences, maybe this might be a good opportunity for you to give kind of a high-level explanation of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and uh, anything that might be latest and greatest with that. I know it seems like things have continued to just go up and up and up in terms of from an investment perspective, but what is your take on it?
1: Well, it's an interesting topic, and there's a lot of confusion. Uh, First of all, let me clarify. Uh, Bitcoin is, of course, the original and best-known cryptocurrency, and of course, it's gotten a lot of attention again, just like back in 2017, when it increased over the course of that year by tenfold in price. Uh, in the last six months, Bitcoin uh, has increased uh, about fivefold uh, in value, and uh, it's enough that it's gotten people's attention. So should we all be doing this? Should we be investing in it? Are we going to be using it? Um First of all, cryptocurrencies are very speculative investments. So if you're thinking about taking all of your savings for the family farm and the kids' uh, tuition and dumping it into Bitcoin so that you can try to double it over the next six months before they have to go off to college, let me suggest that might not be such a great idea. It's a volatile yeah. investment. Now, if you want to take some very small percentage of your portfolio that's dedicated already to speculative investments and look into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a possible component of the speculative end of that portfolio, that might be an appropriate thing to do. And certainly it could be something to discuss with your financial advisors. And if your financial advisor should be able to give you a good answer on that. If your financial advisor says, what's Bitcoin? You probably need a new financial advisor.
0: <laughs> uh, That's a, that, that should be like on the litmus test when you interview your financial advisor. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Tell me what
1: you think about cryptocurrencies as an investment, and see if they can give at least a coherent answer. Doesn't mean they have to think it's a great idea or a bad idea, but if it's like they don't even understand what it's about, it would be like saying, "Well, I'm a financial advisor. I do a very, very good job, except that I don't know about this, this stock market thing."
0: <laughs> I know some people. I know some people that have that invested in some cryptocurrencies early on, not Bitcoin specifically, but some other ones, and they did very well um, if you kind of bought in early enough. So that's. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, if you
1: if you pay close attention to it, yeah, that's true. Uh, at the same time, you know, some of the people who got in early uh, found themselves not taking as good care as they should have over what they kind of considered a you know just kind of a flyer. Uh there's this story recently in the news about this fellow who was was paid back in 2011. What was the equivalent of a few hundred dollars for some work that he had done and the people that paid him said hey we're tight tight on cash can we pay you in this bitcoin thing and the guy said well you know it wasn't that much effort fine you know go ahead and pay me in bitcoin and he, he took this bitcoin seven thousand bitcoins which at the time were only worth pennies a piece and uh, and he stored them on a military grade flash drive so that they would be secure and he kept the flash drive and, and locked up in a safe and all that and uh, later that year bitcoin went up you know to like a dollar and he said oh hey this is worth a couple thousand bucks maybe i ought to sell some of this bitcoin and he realized he'd forgotten his password and uh oh no he said, i stuck it back in in the drawer and said, oh, well, it's not a big deal. He almost kind of forgot about it. Earlier this year, he was looking at it when Bitcoin passed $30,000 and realized he's got $200 million worth of Bitcoin locked up that he doesn't know how to get to. And he's got two tries left out of 10 on his password. And if he fails on his last two tries, the security will lock it up forever and it'll be gone. There's actually $140 billion worth of Bitcoin around the world inextricably locked up like this that will never be available uh, to people in the market now that's out of a couple of trillion dollars worth of bitcoin that's out there so it's a relatively small percentage but the point being made is like any other asset you have to take the proper precautions to uh, to manage the security of that asset and don't forget your password
0: <laughs> oh my goodness i, I can't imagine uh, you're sitting on like a lottery ticket and you just can't uh, you can't access it. Yeah, if you ever very good analogy. If you ever buy into any of this cryptocurrency, um, I think the password's probably a pretty big deal.
1: <laughs> I, I think it's it's a very big deal. Now, from a more practical standpoint, the enabling underlying technology that makes Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies possible is referred to as blockchain. We certainly don't have time to get into how blockchain works when I do my presentations on. Uh, what I call the blockchain transformation, how people uh, are leveraging blockchain to change all different kinds of industries. Uh, One of the things I pride myself on is giving clear, simple explanations as to how this technology works and why it enables things that could not be done before blockchain came along. Uh, Cryptocurrencies itself are gonna become increasingly important, especially in financial markets and financial transactions. Uh, Not so much as investments, although in some cases they will, but in terms of facilitating financial transactions, doing, for example, international money transfers, instead of taking hours or days and costing, you know, uh, five or 10 or $20 and up to make international currency trades, uh, it'll be done for pennies in fractions of a second and we'll be able to move money around electronically on our own without having to have intermediaries and banks involved in the process uh, as easily as we can now uh, do a Venmo or other electronic transmission uh, uh, between us or hand cash back and forth if we happen to be physically present.
0: And so- you are speaking my language because uh, I just had to wire some money out of, out of the country to a speaker yesterday and uh, yeah, there's there's some fees on that. And when we're doing that several times a year, that adds up. So I'd say bring that change on, bring it on.
1: <laughs> well, it's, well, it's coming on and, and blockchain itself is going to enable tremendous changes in a huge variety of, of uh, industries. One of the main things that people ask me to speak about is... Uh, the impact of emerging technologies. This is something I've been focused on really for the last quarter century since the internet first came out. And every time major new emerging technologies come out, it changes business models. And in many cases, the way entire industries work and companies, and for that matter, not-for-profit organizations, governmental organizations and so forth need to understand the strategic business implications of these new technologies. And that's really the kind of umbrella focus of my speaking practice is about helping non-technical, senior executive decision-makers understand the strategic implications of new technologies and how they need to plan for them.
0: Yeah, understood. So, you know, we were talking a little bit before this, we thought that this might be a really good opportunity for you to sort of give a little bit of a preview into that strategic planning presentation that you do. So I, I, um, you've got some slides for us today, don't you, to kind of help uh, visualize?
1: I do, yes. And, and, and what I'd like to share with you uh, is what's called a dynamic digital transformation. And the idea here is, uh, and let me go ahead and bear with me just a second. Uh, let me bring up a slide. All right, can you see the slide now?
0: I can, yeah. It's, it looks white right now. It is
1: white right now. Uh, that, that was a test. <laughs> oh. Here is one of the challenges that people have been asking me since the first of the year. How in the world are we supposed to develop a strategic plan? We've always learned you should look two, three, five years, or maybe even more for a large organization into the future to develop a strategic plan. But how can you develop a strategic plan if something like the COVID pandemic is going to come along and throw your entire strategy into a cocktail, as they say. You know, you have to start from scratch. I mean, I, I I think strategic planning is dead. That you can only look out sixty to ninety days and and hope for the best. And it's not true. It is dead if you think of, you know, especially because of the kinds of strategic disruptions we see here. Not just pandemics, climate change geopolitical disruptions, a national leader suddenly impulsively decides to impose a tariff on critical, uh, uh, you know, raw materials uh, for your industry, for example, and the impact of emerging technologies themselves. Planning for uncertainty in the longer term. Uh, The military has been thinking about this for centuries. And the first rule of war is a famous military saying is that the first casualty of war is the plan." And that's true if what you're talking about is the traditional static strategic plan. Let's get together once a year for two or three weeks in the fourth quarter and uh, take a look at our business plans, make a few tweaks around the edges and then go ahead with business as usual. And everything is fine uh, until something like the pandemic comes along and you've got to scramble to do stuff completely new. So with dynamic transformational planning, The idea is that you not only do what we've all learned about in the old saying, think globally, but act locally, but it's also about think long term, act in the short term, have a flexible plan in the flexible in the short term that it still allows you to achieve long term goals. And that's done by two different types of things. The idea is you have to have an innovative planning process for anticipating and managing strategic disruptions, which means, first of all, you need to have goals. How are you going to leverage your organization's core competencies, resources, and capabilities in order to address the changing needs of the markets that you serve or the constituencies you serve, if you're a governmental organization or agencies, for example, while at the same time addressing current and potential strategic threats and disruptions, whether the strategic threat might be from a competitor or might be from something like a pandemic or climate change. And at the same time, you need to have plans. In order to accomplish any goal, we have to have a plan. But there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they've always said, and you can have more than one plan for a goal. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, For example, suppose your goal is to drive home from work. Now, this is assuming you're actually driving to some place that you go to work and and driving home from it at this point.
0: We we remember what those days were like, Jack. Right, right. (laughs)
1: Uh, So plan A might be take the expressway, because most of the time that's the fastest way. But plan B could just as well be take surface streets. And one of the things about it, each plan has advantages and disadvantages. And you could choose to switch plans. Now, it might be for a pragmatic reason that you're familiar with in advance. Ah, I need to stop and pick up something at the grocery on the way home. I'm gonna take the surface streets. There's no grocery stores on the expressway. On the other hand, uh, if there's an accident on the expressway, you might also choose to switch to the take surface streets plan, even though it's unanticipated because it's better to get off now than to get hung up up ahead where you might spend 45 minutes looking at that exit just half a mile ahead of you that you can't get to. Um, Now, how do you coordinate plans and goals? Because in order to execute any particular plan, you have to have achieved a series of goals that make sure that you have the resources and capabilities in place to execute that plan. And in order to achieve those sub goals, you in turn will have to execute sub plans. Now this sounds all very complex when I describe it verbally, but what you can do is you can look at uh, what's called a plan goal graph. Let me show you a very simple example of this. Suppose that as part of your overall strategic plan, you're gonna sell some kind of product. Well, if you're gonna be able to execute a plan that says I'm gonna sell product, there's three goals you have to have achieved. You have to have the product itself, You have to have sold the product, you know, generated, marketed and sold and get orders for the product. And then you've got to fulfill those orders. You've got to be able to deliver that product to that. Unless you can do all three of those things, you're not going to be successful in selling product. Well, how, what are your options for having a product? Well, there's a couple. You could buy a product at wholesale and sell it at retail, for example, or you can make the product yourself and sell it. Now, suppose you've decided that you're going to have a plan that involves making the product. Well, again, where are you going to get the parts for the product? Well, you have to have the parts, and then you have to assemble them if you're going to make the product. And how are you going to get the parts? Well, you can buy the parts. Or you can make the parts yourself, be more vertically integrated. So this is a very simple example of how plans and goals can be integrated together. And eventually you can work this kind of planning process down to fundamental short-term activities. So that if you have a sudden disruption in your supply chain, for example, and you've been buying parts, one option might be to make the parts or find somebody else to make the parts for you as opposed to buying them yourself. Uh, but this kind of plan, goal, strategic planning process provides flexibility to adapt to unanticipated changes. So an overall dynamic transformational plan for a business uh, at the top would include typically such things as have a workforce with the appropriate skill sets in place. Have the facilities that you need, which could include anything from office space, although maybe not as we're learning. Uh, But if you're dealing with a physical product uh, of some type, uh, maybe a factory floor or warehousing space, whatever the physical facilities, the technologies that you need, uh, a plan for generating the revenues, how are you going to make money out of this thing? Are you going to provide products or services? Are you going to sell them for a fixed fee? Are you going to price them on a subscription basis? How is this going to work? And have you thought about potential strategic disruptions? which, as I said before, could be from competitors, but they could also be externalities like a pandemic or climate change or geopolitical disruptions of various types that come into play. And thinking about developing a plan for strategic disruptions means, uh, again, you've got to have all those pieces in place. If you look at the right uh, uh, goals, strategic disruptions addressed, and addressing all those means you have to have a plan for how are we going to think about and plan for potential impacts of emerging technologies? How are we going to plan for the possibility of pandemics? You know, one of the things that's uh, very interesting, one of the reasons why we're in a lot of trouble with the pandemic now uh, and the new je- new administration is scrambling to keep up, is because there was a plan for how to respond for a pandemic in place. At the beginning and four years ago at the beginning of the previous administration and the people in the previous administration took a look at this and said we're not having a pandemic why do we need to invest time and resources uh, in planning for one so they shut down that office and when the pandemic did hit at the beginning of 2020 everybody was scrambling from scratch to have to try to figure out how to respond to it and it set us back uh, tremendously um, and so planning for potential changes, whether climate change, geopolitical disruptions, uh, is not, oh, why do we wanna waste time on that if it's not happening now? It's an important part of the planning process for any business or organization. And so for example, in the case of climate change, which is not going away anytime soon, we're not gonna get a vaccine for climate change. Okay, so how do you go about executing a plan? Well, you've gotta identify the impacts of climate change you've got to have mitigation strategies, and you've got to identify potential opportunities for climate change. The impacts, though, need to, need to be looked at. For example, they're going to vary, depending on who's doing the planning, by region of the world, by function. In other words, climate change might, at least in some businesses, impact, say, supply chains more than it impacts financial management. Uh, but it could impact both in various different ways. Uh, By effect, you know, in some parts of the world, the effect is going to be uh, increased uh, uh, temperatures and humidity. In other parts of the world, it's going to be sea rise changes. In other parts of the world, it's going to be many more uh, forest fires threatening populated areas and so forth. So people have to think about that. Uh, And by the impacts on the various different products or services that your organization may sell or may may deliver to the public as the case might be. So thinking about all of these kinds of things and having some pieces in place uh, is very important. I was talking with a fellow recently who had interviewed over 100 organizations around Europe about uh, what plans they had in place for dealing with a pandemic prior to the emergence of the COVID pandemic, and he said, all but one said nothing, we'd never thought about it, we had to figure it all out from scratch. The one organization that was the exception was NATO, the military. And they said, oh, pandemic, we're facing a pandemic, flip the pandemic switch that executes our strategic plan for dealing with a pandemic. Now that doesn't mean the plan in every detail was customized to the specifics of COVID, but what it means is they at least had a clear understanding of what are the issues we're going to need to deal with And how are we going to be able to address those? So anyway, this kind of process is how uh, leading edge organizations are now dealing with uh, strategic planning and uh, helping people understand how this works and incorporating it into their organization's planning processes is a key part of what I'm talking about when I'm speaking for groups Uh, whether it's virtual or in the longer term, especially as we get into the second half of 2021, uh, in-person meetings again.
0: So I think if there's one thing that hopefully that uh, the pandemic or COVID has taught us is that anything's possible, anything and everything. So I love the fact that, that you mentioned this dynamic strategic planning and take anything from climate change, you name it, if the pandemic happened, anything can happen. So- It
1: can happen, it will happen, or it may happen. And we need to be at least initially prepared for it, have a plan for the plan. Here, if this were to happen, here are the things we need to think about and plan for. And anyway, here, and even to the next step of here's some initial possible contingencies based on what we're about, who we're serving, how we're structured, all those kinds of things.
0: So so let's say I'm a small business right now. And let's say I've got, I don't know, 500 employees, small business. Clearly, after seeing this presentation, my, my long-term strategic plan has flaws. What would your advice be to some of those decision makers at that company? Would your advice be to right the ship and pivot and, and get things to stable ground first and then plan? Or is there an opportunity to, to <laughs> dig right in and, and start working on that long-term plan right away in conjunction with, I guess, trying to operate in, in these turbulent times?
1: Yes, absolutely the latter. In other words, both. Uh, You've got to be able to walk and chew gum. And and one of the things I recommend is, uh, and this is especially true for small businesses, is if you're a 500 person business, you need to have five people or the functional equivalent of five full time people doing strategic planning for you. Very few businesses that size do. Typically, strategic planning is maybe one person who's got responsibility for it. They're probably working somewhere in the finance organization. And it's really financial planning, not strategic planning. And and, uh, maybe, like I said, once a year, they gather a team of five or 10 people together for a week or two to work on it. And then everybody goes back to their regular jobs. That's not going to cut it in- A rapidly changing world, and ours is rapidly changing for so many reasons, because climate's not going to quit changing for quite a while. Uh, Even if we get the pandemics under control, geopolitical changes keep taking place, new technologies, especially for example, like AI, as we discussed, continue to evolve. So the world's going to keep changing. That means planning needs to be just as a continuous and ongoing a process as is human resources management or financial management or sales or marketing. It's not a once a year project. It should be an ongoing process. Start by allocating 1% of your resources towards strategic planning and a critical component, not the only component, but a critical component of the strategic planning is thinking about longer term strategic disruptions. What would happen if something really huge came along and dramatically impacted your business. Don't only focus on the short term, the next year, the current competition, and so forth.
0: I, I think it was—I uh, can't remember like what thought leader I was reading, but uh, there he asked a question like, you know, what what two or three things could put you out of business tomorrow? And step back, answer that question for your own business, and then start making a plan and putting and working in the direction to play defense against those things.
1: I, I agree. I agree. And where possible, even even take the offense. Right, right, right. Where can we turn uh, a crisis into an
0: opportunity? No, I love it. Well, geez, I mean, you gave us so many good updates today on different types of technologies. The uh, the dynamic strategic planning is a super relevant um, idea and presentation that you can deliver right now to audiences. Um, And I know you can speak on a, a number of different topics. After, after hearing you present several different times, Jack, I, I'll echo what you said throughout our conversation. One of the things that I love about the way that you present is that you, you convey a lot of these very, um, these very complicated ideas through stories, which makes it very easy to understand for general audiences, not just the tech people out there um, that you can speak with both sides of the spectrum. So, man, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Before we wrap today, is is there anything else that you want to mention um, about your programs or maybe any words of advice for meeting planners?
1: Well, I I was going to just touch on that same point that you brought up the stories, what I call near future scenarios. You know, nothing makes most people's eyes glaze over faster than somebody coming up to talk about the impact of a new technology and getting down into the technical weeds of how the technology works. You know, we don't need to know how to build an automatic transmission. We want to know how to drive a car and what we can do with one. And so what I try to do is look at a particular organization or industry and talk about how life will likely be very different in the relatively near future, three to five to at most 10 years out, you know, not science fiction 100 years from now, not stuff we can't get done in the next 90 days, but where the industry and the business might significantly change and how emerging technology is gonna impact that. And I like to lay out these newer future scenarios that are customized to the particular interests of of a given audience. So, you know, what I can say to, to, uh, to meeting planners and those who are organizing events like this is, it would be my pleasure to work with you to help customize a program to help your attendees, your participants, your executives, whatever might be the appropriate group, uh, understand not just what the potential impact of these new technologies are, these emerging technologies are, but how they can go about taking steps starting right away to plan for the impact of the technologies and do it in a way that also allows for the uh, potential effects of other kinds of strategic disruptions so people can move ahead with their strategic plans, with a high level of confidence that the flexibility is built into how they're doing that uh, to be successful, regardless of what happens.
0: I love it. Um, you know, For those of you meeting planners out there, uh, hit me up, give me a call, let me know that you saw this podcast or this video episode. Uh, Jack's great to work with, ton of value out of his presentations. And like you just mentioned, your audience will have some clear takeaways that they can Um, put into place to start improving their business right away. So Jack, it's been a pleasure. I love talking with you as always. Um, Thanks for joining us on Speaking On Demand. Have yourself a great weekend.
1: All right. Thanks so much. Nice to see you again, Aaron.
0: Thanks, Jack. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jack Shaw And if you get a chance, take a look at the YouTube video and let me know what you thought. Should we continue to keep the podcast on a traditional Spotify delivery or did you enjoy the YouTube and the addition of some slides and graphics? I look forward to hearing from you and I'll talk to you next time on Speaking on Demand. To hire a speaker for your next meeting or event, contact me at area code 217-855-6909. Call or text. You can also follow me on Twitter at Aaron Rayberg and check out my LinkedIn profile at linkedin.com slash in slash Aaron Rayberg.